We live in a world searching for security. All sorts of security that we're after. Financial security. There's relational security. Job security. Home security. National security. We live in a world that's concerned about security. Did I lock my car? Uh, have, I, have I got my, my password safe? Is the house unlocked? And we're now thinking, did I lock my car? <laughs> Is my house locked? Well, I want you to come back and think through why we live in an age of insecurity. We live in an age of insecurity because all of these things are insecure. We don't know the future. We don't know what our health will be like or what relationships will last and which ones won't. We don't know what will happen to our finances. And so what we do in life generally is we we work with, with all the energy that we have to ensure security, to make sure our friends like us, to do all we can to leave a legacy, or even just to get enough food on the table at the end of the week to feed our family. We try and make the wisest choices we can for our kids, for our parents, for our society. And we find ourselves fighting for security. It's tiring. I find it tiring. Don't you? That consistent drain of having to make the right decision and having to worry about what could happen next and if this is right and if that is right. It's just tiring. Chasing after security. What is it that robs you of your security? What fears creep in in the middle of the night and unsettle your balance? What wakes you up early in the morning having you worried about what tomorrow will bring? Well, today is a day that the Western world stops to celebrate something that is usually hidden from us. Death. We get a public holiday today to face one of our biggest fears. But the reason that we celebrate Easter is not because of some morbid attraction to death, but because of what the death of Jesus secured for us. See, on the one hand, this Galilean carpenter that has captivated the Western world since the first century AD, on one hand, he should have just been some insignificant guy born in another town, in another continent, to another world, and he shouldn't have had any effect on us, right? But as it turns out, Jesus of Nazareth is the most significant man to ever walk this earth. And what's significant about him is his claim that in him and him alone is found true security, rest, certain hope, a type of security that you don't need to work for, a type of security that is certain and assured that cannot be taken and in our greatest area of need. Friends, this is the best news ever, what we're going to see today. Because it brings absolute security. For the past few months, as a church here at EV, we've been working through this account of the book of John. It's an ancient account of the life of Jesus called John's Gospel. And what we've got in it is, is, a, is a first-hand eyewitness account of the life of this man, Jesus. It's also one of the documents that historians across the globe see is giving us some of the closest and most reliable evidence about the events and times of the first century. It's a historical book. And we're entering now in the story at chapter 10. And we're in the middle of what really is a massive power struggle between the religious authorities on the one hand who have had all the authority in in the Jewish kind of worldview and Jesus. The religious authorities, for them, they're worried about security as well, just like us. But their security is, is kind of tied up in having a monopoly on God. They think they've got life sorted with their rule books and their arguments and their understanding of the Jewish law. They think they're pleasing God and and doing what is right. They think they know the way to God. 
And then this schmuck called Jesus turns up. This Galilean carpenter. And he kind of puts a fly in their ointment. Because he's claiming to be God. And they think they know better than him. So Jesus starts this next chapter of John 10 this way. It's on the screen. John 10 verse 1. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate by the sheep, sorry, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes on ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They'll never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Now, when you read that, if you're anything like me, you kind of go, what's the point of it? (laughs) Seems pretty irrelevant. Jesus has been saying all sorts of things about who he is and what he's come to do, and he starts talking about sheep. Maybe he's a a few sheep short of the top paddock, if you know what I mean. You know, he's got a few screws loose. Like, what has this got to do with us and with this power struggle that's going on? And why are we talking about it on Good Friday? What, what is with this? What's well, exactly the response of those who heard him? Look at verse 6. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. And you're like, phew, okay, <laughs> I'm kind of all right here. I, I don't get what's going on. Now, they did understand the story, like the idea of sheep and how sheep work. Uh, after all, this is the first century in the Middle East. And around that time, probably most families would have had a small number of household sheep in family pens that they used to kind of get some wool and, and breed some sheep and eat some lamb. Uh, sheep were kind of a valuable commodity. And there are a number of threats to your sheep if you lived in the first century. A number of threats that could come. See, in those days, people didn't break in and steal your laptop and your wallet. That didn't happen. You didn't have a laptop and wallet. What they stole was your sheep. You're like, that's mine. Uh, And so they'd run away with your sheep and take them away. So the way you secured your sheep was the family sheep pen. You protected your sheep at night from from dangers and robbers and thieves. And and, and you were there protecting your sheep. Now, you might not know this, but when I grew up, I grew up with sheep. We lived on five acres. We had probably about, um, about 10 or 12 sheep. Uh, as I was a young kid, there's these pictures of me. I tr- tried to get one for my mum, but couldn't, which I was kind of thankful for. Uh, but, but, but like me holding a lamb when I was like five years old and just standing there in our backyard. And so we had these sheep on these five acres. Basically, it was just to keep the grass down because dad didn't want to buy a tractor. So that's why we had sheep. Um, and, and every night, we'd have to get the sheep in from the paddock and bring them into our kind of backyard, which in the backyard in one bottom corner was like a, a sheep pen that was locked in to keep them uh, safe. And every night, we'd have to call them in. Now, the sheep hated coming in, right? Because I don't know what the deal with sheep is. We'll get there soon. They just hated coming in. You're like, you guys need to do this. It's important. See, because on the few occasions that we didn't get the sheep in, something would happen. Something like one of the local dogs from another, another kind of property nearby would come and attack the sheep at night. And invariably, one of them would die. Or another sheep would get freaked out by some noise as sheep do and just try and run through a fence thinking it's Superman. And they get stuck and hurt, and you're like, ah, oh, you got to. So we used to gather the sheep in. Now, the way that you'd get the sheep in was um, you kind of walk out the back paddock and you just start yelling, come on, come on. I don't know, I haven't said that for a long time. I feel a little bit weird <laughs> saying that. But you'd, you'd literally walk out the back, come on, and then you'd grab the, the sheep pellets, right? And you'd shake them. Now, at the sheep pellet noise with my lovely voice, you can imagine little Rowan is kind of like a seven year old, come on, right? <laughs> no. 
the sheep would kind of look up and be like, oh, food. And they kind of like run up the back paddock and you kind of see them come towards you on a good day. On other days, they'd just be like, no, nope, just keep chewing the grass and you have to try and get them in. But they'd come up and kind of come in through the gate into the pen in our backyard. That's what we did every afternoon as a kid until we got sick of doing it and sold the sheep. Well, anyway, we ate some of them too. <laughs> the security for the sheep was found in coming through the gate and into the pen. Now, that's great. Nice story, Rowan. <laughs> nice story, Jesus. What again has that got to do with us? Well, here's where Jesus makes a profound claim. So far in the Gospel of John, he's been saying all sorts of profound statements about himself. Like this, I am the bread of life. I am the one whom we get sustenance from, the one who we live off. I am the bread of life. He's then made this statement we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that I am the light of the world. So by me, you can see I am the light of the world. We heard then Jesus make another claim. He just said, I am which is a reference to him calling himself God. Profound statements, huge claims about Jesus. Then we get one more I am statement in this passage, which is a little odd. He says this, I am the gate. You kind of go, hmm, let down. You know, I'm the gate. Have a look at verse 7. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, being called a gate is not immediately the most flattering compliment you could give someone. You know, it's not something you write in a Christmas card to your mother or father-in-law. Now, I was thinking about you. You are like the gate of my life. Maybe you could write that. I don't know what your relationship with your in-laws is like. Maybe it'd be a helpful thing to write. But it's not really a compliment. But Jesus is saying here that he is the gateway to security. He is the gateway to security for the sheep, for them to be able to be kept safe. See, sheep are stupid. I don't know if you know this, but they really are. I'm sorry if you're a super sheep lover. I'm sorry, but they are dumb animals. I heard someone once say that sheep are the greatest argument against evolution, followed closely by the chicken, because they're examples of the survival of the stupid. Like, you see a sheep, right? And one will be going across the paddock and it will jump, right? And every other sheep behind it will jump. There's nothing there. They all do it. You're like, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing it? And they, 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 you've got an open gate, but they're like, I don't know. I don't know. What am I going to do? And they just kind of, and they're like, just run another direction through a fence. You're like, the gate was open. Sheep are incredibly stupid and they need protecting. And that's what was done in the first century. It was done by the shepherd who would sit and sleep in the gateway to the sheep pen. That way the sheep knew that anyone coming in to the pen from the gate who came past the shepherd was okay because the shepherd had okayed it. It's funny, animals do this all the time. They've got trust based on the trust of others. Uh, when I was younger, we went to buy a dog and I, was, I loved Rottweilers. Just big, big kind of desire. I, don't know, I really liked them as dogs. And we went to this breeding place where they bred Rottweilers. And the guy was showing me how protective they are in a good way and how loyal they are. So he told me to go up to the cage of this, of this Rottweiler that was there. So this kind of um, female Rottweiler that was very large and big. And Anyway, he said, go up to the cage and kind of look a bit angry. So, okay. so I went up and went, no. <laughs> and the dog kind of looks and kind of comes up. He's like, no, 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 lift your hands up like you're going like, to break in or something. So I'm like, okay. So I lift my hands up and go, right. the dog goes crazy. It's, it's literally like barking at me and I'm like, I don't want that one. 
We don't, we don't want that. That's a real angry dog. The guy then walks past me with the lead, walks into the pen. The dog is like just gone absolutely feral at me, right? Walks into the pen, clips the lead on the collar and gives me the lead. And the dog walks around and sits at my heel. Why? Because its owner had passed it on to me and it trusted its owner. So too the sheep, as they see people who've come through the gate, past the shepherd, trust those who come in. And that's what is happening here. Jesus is saying that the security for the sheep comes through, through the people who come in through the gate because they're allowed in by the shepherd. But if someone starts climbing over the fence, like if I'd that day climbed up with that dog and tried to get in over the fence, it would not have ended well. Now, good thing sheep don't bite, well, not as much as Rottweilers do. Um, they do bite, actually, but not as much. Uh, because... This picture is when people are sneaking in over the fence to this this family kind of um, sheep pen, the sheep know that it's something to be feared because someone's coming in that the shepherd doesn't know about, that the gate has not allowed in. They're a threat. They're there to tear them away from the flock. And so the sheep are afraid at someone coming in in that way. What Jesus is saying is that he is both the gate and the shepherd and his people are the sheep. Now, at first, you're kind of like, wow, that's nice. Jesus is the shepherd, looks after his sheep. He's the one who stops horrible people getting in and looks after them and calls them by name and they listen to him. It's just such a nice picture. You know, you can see it in a kid's storybook about Jesus the shepherd and everyone's like, oh, it's all nice and fluffy and warm and isn't Jesus great type of way. But it's actually incredibly offensive. What Jesus says at this point is incredibly offensive to the religious authorities because God had called the religious authorities, the priests and leaders of Israel, shepherds of Israel. He'd called throughout the Old Testament his leaders shepherds and the sheep were God's people and the shepherds were to look after God's sheep. But Jesus says in verse 8, and listen to it, listen to the burn. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. He's in the context of a power struggle. He's in the context of the Jewish rulers and authorities thinking they know what is right. They don't think he is God the Son. They don't think he has come to do anything. They think he's a liar and a lunatic. And Jesus steps up and says, do you know what? A shepherd looks after his sheep. I'm the shepherd. And every shepherd or person that's come before me is someone who's sneaking in the back to steal the sheep, to take them away. He's saying that the first century world, to the first century world, that their leaders are the ones that are thieves and robbers. He's calling the Jewish leaders thief and robber, unfit shepherds with no uncertain terms. So you can see why he wasn't very popular with the Jewish authorities. He's like, you guys suck. You've got significant issues. But it's not something they haven't heard before. See, God had been speaking about this issue within Israel for a number of years. In fact, 600 years earlier, through the prophet Ezekiel, God spoke about the way Israel's leaders were leading them. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Ezekiel, so come with me to understand what Jesus is talking about here and hear how offensive it would be with this in the background. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you've ruled them with violence and cruelty. 
They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock, says God, went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 11, for this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will seek the lost and bring back the strays and bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. I will establish them over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and he will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. It's no wonder that the end of this account in John, verse 31, after Jesus says he is the shepherd, the religious leaders want to kill him. They pick up stones to kill him because they understand what he's saying. I am the one who has come to replace you because you've done a shocker of a job. You have not loved God's people as you ought. You are leading people away from God. You are a thief and a robber stealing God's sheep. But I am the good shepherd. See, God had promised 600 years earlier that he would send a shepherd. And that shepherd would be a descendant of David. David was already dead at the point this was written. He's not saying David's going to come back from the dead. He's saying a son of David. One that in 2 Samuel 7 promises that a descendant from the line of David, David's seed, David's heir, would rule God's kingdom forever. Jesus is saying in this comment where he's saying, I am the gate and the, and the shepherd, that I am that descendant. I have come to bring people back to God, to look after them, to care for them, to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. He is the good shepherd. Look at verse 11 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, you Jewish leaders, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand. And doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. As we think about security. As we think about all the things that can so easily be taken from us. Our health. Our our finances. Our family. Our friends. Our jobs. Our houses. Our people. Our possessions. Jesus is saying this. Come to me. Listen to my voice. I will not desert you like all these other things that are vying for your attention. All these false shepherds, whether they be Jewish kind of rulers, whether they be other things that are screaming out, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you joy. I'll give you all these blessings. Jesus says, no, I am the good shepherd. I will not desert you. I will not let you go. I will protect you and care for you. So often throughout history, Christian leaders... Christian pastors and Christian people have done all sorts of atrocities. You may have been on the receiving end of that, causing hurt and division and pain and bitterness, some of them even in the name of Christianity. I recently heard a story uh, on a show on SBS in Australia that a friend of mine was on of a, a young man who, when he was a child, the priest in his church abused him again and again for years. And then... The priest abused his younger brother as well. And when the man finally got the courage to go and tell his mum what had been going on, his mum went to the bishop of that Catholic church area 
told the bishop, and the bishop did nothing. Nothing. And when that man's mum died, do you know who the bishop got to do the funeral of his mum? The priest that abused him. The priest was supposed to be a shepherd and a pastor, but instead he came to destroy the body and soul, to destroy that poor man and his family. Friends, that is wrong. And if people who are claiming to be Christians have acted in a way that has caused you harm and pain and hurt, I'm sorry. I can't apologize for them, but I'm sorry that they've done that. For they are not following Jesus. They are not following the good shepherd. Friends, if someone is claiming to be a Christian and has hurt you, go and talk to them. Point out what Jesus has done. But don't throw Jesus out. For Jesus is not like that. He is the good shepherd. He cares about his sheep. He doesn't desert them. He doesn't abuse them. Anyone who follows Jesus ought to treat his sheep as he does. And did you see how he treats his sheep? Look at verse 11 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A number of years ago, I heard a story of a, of a kids' church leader, much like the leaders that were up here today, who had taken the, the kind of group of kids' church kids off uh, to a small lake for an outing. And on this lake, they had these paddle boats where you kind of sit on the boat and, you, you know, you move your feet and the, the thing at the back moves and you kind of can go around. And Anyway, it was, it was the days before health and safety was a thing. And so uh, they're kind of there and so they're on this lake together and there's people out there and the kids are kind of doing kids' stuff and banging into one another. And it was, it was a great time until... One of the kids fell in and that child couldn't swim. They knew that they couldn't swim. They didn't have a life jacket. Like, what are you thinking, right? Didn't have a life jacket. They're in the water kind of gasping for air. And as soon as the leader noticed all the commotion, the leader just jumped in after them. He jumped in, kind of dived to the spot, grabbed the girl and kind of pushed her back onto the boat. And the kind of people came across and they're looking at the girl. She'd taken in some water. They're going, are you okay? And finally she kind of breathes and they're like, oh, she's alive. The leader had saved this girl's life. But the thing is, during all the commotion, they hadn't noticed that after the leader had lifted the child onto the boat, the leader had sunk back down and gone under the water for the leader couldn't swim. The leader drowned that day. That kid's church leader drowned so that that child might have life. He knew full well he couldn't swim, but he saw that this child was sinking and so dived in and laid down his life for this child that was under his care. Today we celebrate the day we call Good Friday. It's good not because Jesus just laid down his life. It's good because he laid down his life for us. For us. Even earlier than the prophet Ezekiel was another prophet called Isaiah. And he wrote about 700 years before Jesus. And he wrote in advance of what Jesus was about to do for his sheep. Look at Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. The reason Jesus provides certain hope, the reason he provides absolute security is because he did what no one else can do. He laid down his perfect life 
for our broken and rebellious lives. His death was no accident. He knew what he was doing. As God the Son died on that Roman cross, he died the death that you deserved. He died the death that I deserve. For wandering away from the true and living God, he took what we should have got so that we could stand free. See, to reject the life-giving God, to ignore him, to, to live in quiet indifference from him, is to reject life itself. It's offensive to the true and living God who sustains everything to say, no offense, I just want to live my life my way. I want to set the rules. We've all done it. What Jesus is saying here is that he is the shepherd for wayward sheep like us. For we've all, like sheep, gone our own way. We've turned our back on this true and living God. We all deserve what Jesus got. Death. But the reason we celebrate this day is because if we come to Jesus, we don't need to fear death. Death need not be feared at all, for we have a certain hope, absolute security, because our death has been died by someone else. Jesus died in our place. He died our death for us. The good shepherd laid down his life to save us, the wayward sheep. Unlike the religious leaders living for themselves rather than pointing people to God, Jesus gave himself over to death to die in our place so we could have life. We spend so much energy of our lives trying to find or build or buy or win or earn security. When the ultimate security has already been offered. Listen to Jesus' words in verse 10. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Or look again at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What a shepherd. To die in our place and take the penalty for our death so that we could know we can have life forever. What more security could we ever ask for or imagine? What could be greater than life that does not end with no more mourning or crying or pain? I mean, the worst thing that can happen to us is a life of suffering now and hardship and pain and torment now. But if what is on offer is life eternally, without that pain, life after death, life with no more mourning or pain or crying, then our present sufferings, though real, are but a wince in a lifetime of eternity. The certainty of what Jesus offers is ultimate security. That's what he offers you this day. We're so caught up with the here and now. So caught up with what's in front of us and how I want to seek out the things that bring me pleasure or security here that we miss the certainty of the security that is on offer. No one's thinking about what comes after death. We're so infatuated with the world around us about the immediate, about what we can see and touch, yet we're all going to die. We all have to think about it. The euthanasia debate has been quite strong in the media. They'll be working through this about whether we allow assisted suicide in the future. But I wonder, has anyone ever wondered what happens after death? Has anyone done any research into, into working out, you know, we think it'll be better for someone to end their life now. What if what comes after death is what Jesus says? Judgment and hell for those who've rejected him. If what Jesus says is right, and he said it in John 3.36... The one who believes the Son has eternal life. 
The one who rejects the son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. If that is true, then our greatest hope, our greatest need, our greatest security is delivered in Jesus. Where life after death is set. Someone has died our death, the good shepherd who looks after his sheep. Friends, there are all sorts of things that come in to destroy, like the thief and the robber. They come in to distract us and pull us away from God's good king and blind us to the true shepherd. Sometimes they're good things, just in the wrong order. Placed too highly and sought after too much. Family, finance, friends, prosperity, popularity. All these things can come in and look after us for a while and give us something to kind of coach us through life, but they're like the hired hand. Once the going gets tough, they get going. (laughs) They have not, they will not, and they cannot lay down their life to secure for you eternal life. Nothing else can, nothing else will, no one else has. So the question comes for us today as we reflect on Jesus' words. Am I a sheep of Jesus? Am I Jesus' sheep? Have Have I come to him? The passage kind of gives us three marks of Jesus' sheep. Number one, they recognize the shepherd's voice. That's him. Jesus is who he claims to be. Secondly, they recognize the shepherd's face as the gatekeeper, as the one whom they trust. But thirdly, they also follow him. See, it's not enough to just merely know who Jesus is. So, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. I can recognize when it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, that's Jesus. Well done. That's great. But it's not enough. It's not enough to kind of think he's a great moral leader or a great teacher or say he has lots to tell us or be able to pick him out of a crowd because of those pictures on old church buildings with like stained glass things and plates behind the head. Like, that's Jesus. You know, blonde hair, blue eyes. For the benefits of the shepherd to apply to the sheep, we need to follow him. Not just recognize him, not just hear him, but follow him. John 10, 4 says this, The sheep follow him because they know his voice. For some of you today, for the first time, you're hearing the voice of the great shepherd. You're hearing him say, come to me and find rest. Find your security in me, in what I offer. And the temptation for you is to push that voice aside and run another direction. I want to clearly plead with you today, don't. For there is only one great shepherd and his name is Jesus. There is only one person who has laid down his life for you. There is only one person that can, can secure your eternity, who's died your death and risen again. My sheep hear my voice. Run to him. If he is calling you today, do something about it. Don't sit there thinking, oh, one day I'll check it out. Hear your shepherd and come to him. For others of you today, you've been following Jesus, listening to his voice, imperfectly, of course, but for years. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, verse 27. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. To you who are following Jesus, to you who hear his voice. Not just some ethereal voice like you've had a dream or like one day you got up and you thought God said, come to me. Like some kind of Casper movie. But who've heard 
Jesus in the scriptures, the voice of Jesus of history saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the bread of life. I am light. I am God. Come to me. If you have heard that voice, if you're following him, then friends, what you have is real security, certain hope, certain hope that is only found in Jesus, the good shepherd. There's so much to worry about. Relationships ending, loved ones dying, our health kind of drifting away, losing our job. There's so many things to worry about. But for you who trust in the good shepherd, what can't happen is this. You cannot be snatched out of Jesus' hand. You cannot be snatched out of Jesus' hand. Death will not have the last word with you for those who hear his voice and follow him. That is a certainty. There is no greater security than that. Will you hear the voice of Jesus today? I want us to listen to the words of Jesus' great-great-grandfather. It's probably great more than that. King David. David wrote a psalm that is, that is read at probably most funerals. It's a psalm that gives so many in the world great peace because of its words. I want to read it to you. It's on the screen. A psalm of David. Listen to what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When, J- when, when, when David wrote that psalm, What he was speaking of was something that he had, a real relationship with God, caring for him and leading him in in that time. But it's something that he hadn't fully seen as well. For the shepherd he was speaking of was his great, great, great grandson, Jesus. God spoke through David's words so that we now can see with even more clarity, Jesus is the great shepherd who leads us beside quiet, still waters, who, who lays down his life for us so we can say with even more certainty than David ever could, My future is secure. There is nothing that can be ripped from me because my life is in the hands of the good shepherd. So friends, I love Psalm 23 to be up there. And if you trust Jesus, I love you to say out loud now, these words, recognizing that you're speaking of Jesus, the good shepherd. Let's say them slowly together. You ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, today I hope you have seen the absolute confidence and security and hope that comes through trusting in the good shepherd, Jesus. If you do, your past has been paid for. Jesus died your death. Your future is secure because the good shepherd has given you eternal life. Death has no hold on you. Jesus is the good shepherd. And this day we celebrate Jesus' death in our place that has secured that for us. And so the question for all of us as we consider what Jesus did is this. Is Jesus your shepherd? Your eternity depends on the answer to that question. Let's pray.
Lord God, we are thankful that you've shown your love for us in Jesus, that you've loved us in a way that we can't ever imagine its greatness, that Jesus laid down his life while we wanted nothing to do with you. We ask, Lord, that you would draw us to your son, the true shepherd. You would help us to trust him, that by your spirit you would help us to listen to his voice. For those of us today that want to trust Jesus for the first time, that are hearing you, Lord, call them to Jesus. We want to say thank you for Jesus' death in our place. Thank you that Jesus died and took the penalty that we deserve. Help us to place Jesus as our ruler and our shepherd and our leader. Help us to live lives that put Jesus first so that we might hold on to him. And even greater than that, he hold on to us through the valley of the shadow of death so we might stand forgiven. Father, we ask this day that you would put Jesus front and center for every single one of us, that we would feel and experience and understand the depths of what has happened at the cross, that we might live for you. For your glory, we pray. Amen.